Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I hold no definitive knowledge on the topics I talk about. Be skeptical and look into things for yourself to confirm their veracity. If you find I made an error, please let me know. You can do that at livingthroughextinction at gmail.com. Please also be aware that I do swear and I don't bother to bleep that stuff out. So listener discretion is also advised. This is episode 69 of Living Through Extinction, a short to the point podcast with science, skepticism, environment, wildlife, and ways we as people can be better for future generations. I failed to plan appropriately for episode 69, so this is just going to be an average episode. Today, I talk about an exception to the Louisiana abortion law that lawmakers missed, contaminants in the St. Lawrence River, more creatures of the deep, weight based healthcare biases, and restoring hearing after loss. If you've joined me before, then thank you so much for returning. If this is your first time listening to Living Through Extinction, welcome. I hope you find it both fun and informative. When Louisiana put its anti-abortion laws into effect, the lawmakers had the sense to allow for exceptions, but listed those exceptions specifically by name. There were no obstetricians consulted to make sure they were getting it right, and they only listed those conditions that they were aware of, the things they knew about. They being the lawmakers with no experience in any medical field. Who sees the huge problem here? Instead of just putting into law an exception for if the child will not be viable and or the woman's life is at risk, they specifically named the conditions one by one. Obviously, this left out anything they were unaware of. How could they not see this? Could they possibly be so incredibly ignorant as to actually assume that between them they would have all of it covered? Acrania came up in the Not A Normal episode I put out when abortion rights were taken away in the US. It's rare, but it does happen, and none of these lawmakers were even aware of its existence. So how could they have added it to the list? Within months of their abortion restrictions becoming law, a woman was diagnosed with being pregnant with a fetus with acrania. Acrania means without head. It's a condition where the brain and skull of the fetus do not develop. To force a woman to carry a fetus with acrania is akin to torture, especially if she wanted this baby. To go through 10 months, and yes, it's not nine, it's 10, your body being changed forever your life actually put at risk, as giving birth in the U.S. doesn't have the best mortality rates for the woman or the newborns, to go through all the stages of pregnancy and birth, knowing that you're carrying a headless baby, which will pass away shortly after being born and never know existence. That is not okay to force an individual to endure. It's cruel. I started to watch one of these lawmakers talking about how this was hurting him, how he stands by his anti-abortion stance, but forcing this woman to go through this was just wrong, and I had to turn it off. This is exactly what anti-abortion laws are doing to women. Thousands of women whose lives should, but don't matter to these people as much as a cluster of cells which may or may not have the potential to be a person someday. Those are some fucked up values. 
Now, other lawmakers are trying to backpedal, blaming the hospital for grossly misinterpreting the law. Um, no. The law was very clear. Only in the case of the specifically named exceptions was someone to be legally allowed to get an abortion. As usual, it's the Republicans who didn't put any thought into the bill, who didn't consult professionals in the fields to make sure they weren't missing anything. They just shot it off as quickly as possible, as soon as they could, as usual. It really showcases their ineptness to make proper laws. This was not the hospital's fault. They desperately wanted to help this woman, but the laws specifically stopped them from doing so. A person can't just presume they know all the possible circumstances in a field in which they have not been educated and did not seek consultation from professionals on. That's just completely ridiculous. When making laws that have to do with the health of your citizens, don't assume you know everything and maybe consult some fucking doctors. Be skeptical, damn it. Here in Canada, way to the east, is the St. Lawrence River. This river connects the Great Lakes to the Atlantic Ocean. It comes out of Lake Ontario and heads northwest through Quebec, I believe going through Montreal along the way. The St. Lawrence has both swimming and fishing spots all along its almost 1,200 kilometers, and it also provides drinking water to 50% of the people living in Quebec, so people are eating and drinking from it and spending time in it physically. Recent testing has shown high levels of ultraviolet absorbance and industrial antioxidants in the water. This is coming from sunscreens, anti-aging creams, shampoos, plastics, and textiles. These are products that we use to protect our skin and to protect consumer goods from the sun's UV radiation or from oxidizing agents in the air. These have the potential to cause harm to both the biodiversity and the ecosystem health of the area. And spanning as long as it does, that's a very large area. Some of these compounds disrupt hormonal systems in aquatic organisms, and some promote coral bleaching. Being in the water, these compounds are getting into the plant life along the river's edge, and the wildlife in the water, which people fish and eat. This means it's not just a problem for the river life. It's getting into us as well, and the results of that are yet to be fully understood. In episode 59, I talked about three creatures of the dark, specifically from the deep sea. This is part two of that topic, looking at three more weird-ass creatures of the dark. Two from the deeps and one from dark caves. First, I would like to call your attention to the faceless cusk eel. This eel, as its name implies, has no face. They live about four to 5,000 meters down in the Indian and Pacific Oceans. I saw it described in a few places as looking like a fish with two rear ends, and I can see that comparison when looking at it from the side. From the bottom, however, it's way weirder. There's a protrusible mouth on the underside, which means that it extends out from the creature in order to get food, then retracts back into the body. And those are not eyes you see on the other side, if you've decided to look. They have no eyes. What they have are two sets of very large nostrils, and then the protrusible mouth, and that's it. There's video available on the internet, and it's pretty cool to watch these weird-ass creatures swimming around. Go look up the faceless cusk. Second on my list of creatures from the dark today is the Om, spelled O-L-M. The Om is a cave-dwelling amphibian, though it is primarily aquatic, eating, sleeping, and breeding underwater. I can't make up my mind if this creature is horrifying or actually kind of cute. 
It seems to depend on the angle the picture is taken from. Ohms are about 30 centimeters long and quite slender with two sets of small legs very far apart. One set towards the head and another set way further back than would be expected from a four-legged animal. In images and videos I've seen, they appear to be white or light pink and their texture appears to be smooth like flesh rather than rough or scaly. They have little red gills that stick out the sides of their heads and kind of look like feathers. From the right angle, these actually make them appear to be quite adorable. While eyeless, they do just fine, as their hearing and smelling are exceptional. Their prey is swallowed whole, and they eat bugs, snails, and small crabs. But they have the ability to survive for over a decade without eating and live to be 100 years old. Ohms are scary, cute, and interesting creatures for sure. And finally, let's end the segment off with the super freaky spookfish. So weird. Look it up and check out its eyes. They're divided in two halves by a tissue inside the eyeball. It looks very strange. This tissue is lined with crystals that function as tiny mirrors. They reflect and focus light back into the eye. The spookfish can see better in the dark thanks to these natural reflectors and can also look up and down at the same time. And those are the creatures of the dark. The faceless cusk eel, the ohm, which I'm not sure if I mentioned is a type of salamander, and the spookfish with the weirdest, most interesting set of eyes I ever saw or heard of. I'm going to go refill my water now and continue the show with part three of Biases in Healthcare. Today I'm going back to Biases in Healthcare. This will be part three of this series, weight-based biases. Something Obesity Canada says is basically a socially acceptable prejudice. Prejudices are never good, no matter what they are based around. This is just one more that needs to be tackled. If it interests you, parts one and two were on sex and race-based biases and can be found in episodes 66 and 67. Similar to race-based biases, weight-based biases can be either implicit or explicit. Either they're unconscious and not necessarily realized by the person displaying them, or they're actual thoughts and or actions which are deliberate. People of a larger size unfortunately experience a lot of similar discriminatory, harmful attitudes towards them, most of which are based on incorrect information. People, including many healthcare professionals, have this belief that it's easy to lose weight, that anyone can do it, that it's just a matter of eating better or less. This may be true for some people, but it cannot be assumed of all. There are numerous factors that can lead to being overweight, including genealogical and environmental. Many also believe that being overweight automatically means one is unhealthy. This is not true at all. What is unhealthy and more likely to lead to physical damage is when larger individuals drastically try to lose weight too quickly and in unhealthy ways. In many cases, a larger person will be healthier if they maintain their current weight than if they start trying fad diets and end up going up and down several times throughout their life. A 2015 study showed that many adults with obesity are actually very healthy. Two to 50% are metabolically normal and actually have a low risk of cardiovascular and other conditions. So weight should never be the primary focus when someone has symptoms. 
Also, a 2016 study found that an unfit lighter person was twice as likely to develop diabetes as a fit overweight person. There are plenty of larger people who exercise regularly, eat well, and are healthier than some people of much smaller sizes. Assuming a person is unhealthier just because they're larger than someone else is making an assumption based on ignorance. It's simply not true. Other assumptions made by many healthcare professionals is that overweight people are lazy or weak-willed. This one is ridiculous. I personally know several women larger than I am who are anything but lazy and also a whole lot more strong-willed than I could ever hope to be. Again, these assumptions are based on ignorance, on gaps in people's scientific medical knowledge. Numerous studies have shown the inaccurate negative beliefs about obese people among medical students, physicians, nurses, mental health professionals, and even dietitians. There's an assumption among many of these students and professionals that an obese patient is less likely to follow treatment guidelines. These beliefs affect their attitudes towards these patients in negative ways. In one of these studies, medical students reported that obese patients were the most common targets of derogatory humor from attending physicians, residents, and students. One of the worst problems with these biases is that they result in medical professionals attributing most of a person's physical complaints to their obesity without doing the tests to rule out other possibilities. These patients are often told to just lose weight first and see if it helps. What the fuck, right? What if it turns out to be something time-sensitive? These biases are leading to delayed care for serious issues, which we all know is dangerous. I read an article from 2019 which shared the obituary of Ellen Maud Bennett and demonstrated this. As her symptoms got more and more severe, doctors continued to attribute them to her weight. No tests, no treatments, just told her to fucking diet. For years. Ms. Bennett died from advanced cancer just days after a doctor finally figured out that she was really sick and diagnosed her. One of the studies I found interesting used virtual patients who were out of breath and recorded the notations and recommendations of medical students. While those virtual patients of lower weight were offered medications to help manage the symptoms, the virtual obese people were more likely to receive lifestyle change recommendations when in real life they may be experiencing their symptoms for the same reasons as the smaller patients, and that should at least be considered. Another of the worst of the problems with these biases is that people don't like to subject themselves to humiliation or being told shit is in their head or not having their symptoms ever taken seriously or always having any symptom attributed to their weight. Once they experience these things, they're more likely to not go back. They're more likely to let symptoms slide. They're more likely to blame themselves when they may very well be not to blame at all. Something could be wrong, but the anxiety they feel about submitting themselves to medical professionals who treat them poorly keeps them from seeking the help that they may need. There's evidence that obese women are less likely to seek recommended screenings for cancers because they have been made to feel embarrassed around medical professionals. This has and will cost people their lives. A 2016 paper showed that 53% of women with obesity hear inappropriate comments about their weight from healthcare professionals. 52% said that their weight had been a barrier to receiving appropriate healthcare at some point. And 40% of healthcare professionals admitted that they had negative reactions to patients with obesity. 
We also have to acknowledge the bias in the equipment used in hospitals. Things like hospital gowns, blood pressure cuffs, exam tables, and x-ray tables. 91% of healthcare professionals report that they do not have scales readily available for morbidly obese patients. 79% of healthcare professionals report that they do not have gowns large enough for a lot of people. More than half reported that they did not have armless chairs in waiting rooms. And 40% said that they did not have any exam tables large and sturdy enough for some patients. On top of this, primary care workers are making judgments and falling into biases on their obese patients, which are not backed up scientifically. The result is 28% less time being spent with them than other patients, and patients feeling shamed instead of cared for. And that's not okay. When it comes to health and care, biases are not only bad, they are dangerous. I got this information from SciDaily.com. Most of us will experience some form of hearing loss if we live long enough. Some from overexposure to loud noises, many of us just as we age. Our inner and outer ear sensory cells get damaged or break down over time, and these hearing losses are considered permanent because we're not able to regrow outer and inner ear hair sensory cells. Or at least we couldn't. The first thing accomplished was to make an artificial ear hair cell, but they were not able to differentiate it into inner or outer, and that's important for function. They perform different duties, which are all required for us to hear properly. The outer hair cells expand and contract in response to the pressure of sound waves, amplifying the sound for the inner hair cells to pick up. The inner hair cells transmit vibrations to our neurons to create the actual sounds that we hear. They're very precise, and if not positioned with micrometric precision, hearing just doesn't work. This next hurdle, which would be to differentiate between the two important types of ear hair cells, has been accomplished by Northwestern medicine scientists. It has been discovered that a specific gene, known as TBX2, is the master gene that programs ear hair cells into either outer or inner ones. Ta-da! This is it. This is the discovery that was needed. TBX2 is a tool that can be used to make the specific necessary cells. When this gene is expressed, the cells become inner ear hair cells. When it is blocked, they become outer ear hair cells. This amazing research was published in the May issue of Nature. Well, that was episode 69, and I didn't have any kind of sex ed segment prepared for it, and I am currently very disappointed in myself. What about you, listener? Are you disappointed in me for not taking advantage of this episode number, which will only come once in a podcast's lifetime? I need to do better planning. Oh well. Thank you for listening. May your health and sanity be replenished daily. I want the following people to know that I appreciate them and their contributions to the show. Jason Martin for helping me get started on this project more than two years ago. I wouldn't be doing this right now if not for him. Kathy Rayner for her musical contribution on the violin. Paul Palmer for his musical contribution on the guitar. He can be found at WPG Suitcase Drummer on Instagram. Dustin Harder for composing and recording the intro and outro for the show. You can find him on Instagram at Prairie Soul Music. And of course, my family, who puts up with me turning off the air and heat at times so I can do my thing. I really do appreciate them. I hope you will choose to join me again in two weeks for episode 70 of Living Through Extinction. Mm -hmm.
If you enjoy Living Extinction and would like to support the show, the best ways to do so are to subscribe and rate and to comment and like positive comments on your favorite podcast player, or you can help out by following, liking, and sharing on all the social medias. The show can be found under Living Extinction on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok, and under LTE Pod on Twitter. There's also a Patreon at patreon.com slash livingthroughextinction. There you can earn stickers, pins, masks, and more, as well as help me to plant some trees. If you have any comments, corrections, questions, or suggestions, please email them to livingthroughextinction at gmail.com or message me through one of the social medias. 